This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 146 with guest Joe Casey. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. And we have a reoccurring guest today. My dear friend, Joe Casey, is here. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Joe in just a minute here. But I'm so excited that it's the middle of April because spring obviously, has been here for a few weeks. And I love it when the weather gets warmer. I'm sure those of you who live in a really cold climate are really happy that maybe the snow is gone. And also, my birthday is on Saturday. My birthday is on tax day. Anybody else have a tax day birthday? I, the last few years, this is like true confession time. The last few years... I have not loved my birthday. I I think it was like probably around the time I turned 38 and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) when did this happen? Like, when did this happen? And, And I know I'm a life coach. I'm supposed to be like aging gracefully, whatever the hell that is. And telling you like, oh, but it's when you get older, all the wisdom that comes with getting older. And of course, I think all of those things. Of course, I don't want to go back to being 21. I know I don't. But things are changing over here. I need to get somebody on the podcast who is an expert in that, an expert in the whole concept of aging gracefully and like, how do we do that? Because please don't send in a Q&A about how to do that. Because I'm going to be like, I don't know. <laughs> if anybody knows, let me know. But I know logically, again, please don't send me a bunch of emails where you tell me that, oh, but I, I love my 40s and 50s because the, I'm so much wiser. And I totally agree with that. Like, I am I am with you on that. I, I love, that's the part I love. I love being more wise and more resilient, hell yes. I don't think that there's any way that I could have known the lessons that I know now and had that in my 20s or even even really in my 30s. So 42, you guys, I'm going to be 42, which I know is still really young. It still is is really young. But it's just kind of like, I feel like I've hit that point in my life where I'm like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> this is starting to happen. And yeah, who's with me on that? Also, registration is now open for the 30-day experience. And this is one of my signature programs. I do not know if I am going to teach this again in 2018. I am making changes to the offerings over here based on the fact that I have another book coming out. And this very well might be the last time I teach this class, especially at this price point. This class is perfect for anyone who, like, raise your hand if you compare yourself to other women and feel like you just don't measure up. You feel like who you are as a woman is just never enough. And maybe you have chronic patterns and habits around perfectionism, numbing out, hiding out and isolating, maybe a little people-pleasing slash approval-seeking, wanting to control everything and maybe a little bit of self-sabotage, maybe all of those things. And it's all you know. 
that's what you do. It's like part of your to-do list. And maybe you're not really proud of how you're showing up in the world, but you have no idea how to change it. And plus, you can't remember a time when you actually took care of yourself and took time to do what you love. I mean, like, what is that, right? This class is about that. And it's not just a place where we sit around and talk about the problem. You already know what that is. But this class is about giving you new awareness around your negative self-talk and any feelings of unworthiness. Because you've been operating the same way for a long time, possibly decades. What the 30-day experience will show you is a new way of not only how to speak to yourself with more kindness and self-compassion, but when you do the work, you'll be amazed at how much better you feel, how relieved you are, and you'll have hope that there's actually a new way of being. Another part that I love about this class is, and this is actually how we kick it off, is the recognition of your deep core beliefs and how they are dictating your thoughts, behaviors, feelings, and decisions. Because we can help you all day long on figuring out how to change the voice of your inner critic, but what's underneath that, what's actually the problem at the core of it, are these deep-seated beliefs that you have about yourself. And a lot of times, we don't even know what they are because they are kind of like these subconscious beliefs. So what the experience will do is teach you how to challenge those beliefs, create new ones, and recognize when you're falling back into them because that is really the birthplace of confidence. That is the birthplace of courage. And then another thing that I love about this class, and and this is really the basis of my next book, is you will have a deep understanding of what your default behaviors are. So all those ones that I mentioned, the perfectionism, the control, the hiding out, the numbing, really all of the behaviors that at the end of the day make you feel like shit, that's what we're going to dive into. And you will have a deep understanding of them so that you can choose new behaviors that serve your best self, that are more in alignment with who you want to be, and so you can be proud of who you are. And then also this class, there is a private Facebook group in it. There's a huge sense of community in there. And there is really something magical and powerful that happens when a group of women come together to better themselves and to support one another. You'll be a part of that group. And also, when the 30 days is up, you'll get an invitation to my alumni group where I am in there once a month doing live videos, answering your questions. So when it's over, it's not really over. You get invited to the alumni group. If you have been in the seven-day challenge, which was last week, you have heard all about this class. So you know where to go to find out the information and to sign up for it if you haven't already. And if you did not do the seven-day courage challenge, fear not. It is not a prerequisite for this class. You can go to 30dayexperience.com to read more about it and to sign up. And that's 30, it's the numbers, 30dayexperience.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. And there are some pretty awesome bonuses in there and a price break that is only available for a limited amount of time. So I would love to see you there. This is usually my biggest group and the most active group because there are just always amazing kick-ass women in there helping each other and who are hungry and ready for change, who are hungry and ready to change their patterns, to change their habits. And I'd love to help you and support you. So hopefully I'll see you over there.
All right. So moving on to Joe Casey, I'm going to go ahead and let you read her professional, her super, super posh professional bio over on the show notes because Joe is a personal friend of mine. I adore her. Joe has been coaching for over 15 years now, and she says she's clocked over a thousand hours of coaching experience. So she's just really great. I hope you love this topic that we are talking about. I really, Joe wasn't one of those planned out people. Like I usually plan out my guests way ahead of time. And it really was, you'll hear about it in the episode. I'm excited for you to hear it, but something, she did something in her business. And I was like, I called her and I'm like, you have to come and be on the podcast again. We have to talk about this. So I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. And so without further ado, here is Joe. Hi, Joe Casey. Thanks for being here. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me back. Back for a second time, the second time around. That was a popular song here in the 70s in the US. I don't know if you know it. <laughs> I take it you don't because you didn't start singing with me. I don't know that one. We did have popular music, though, in the 70s, even over here in England, but not that one. <laughs> we did. Not yeah. that one. No. Okay. Well, I, I'm i excited to have you on. And this was sort of an impromptu episode. You and I were having some some deep conversations last week. And I said, I need to have you, I need to record this conversation and have you on the podcast. <laughs> now I pulled the trigger because... I have introduced to my audience over the last, well, several weeks ago that this podcast is shifting a little bit and I'm going to talk about, mm. I always talk about shit that matters, but I'm going to kind of talk about different shit that matters. And, and this is what this is about. And I think it matters a whole, whole lot. And just a little bit of background of how you and I know each other. If, if people are avid listeners of the podcast, you and I did an episode. It's been a couple of years, believe it or not. Mm. I know. <laughs> when you and I taught a class together for coaches mm -hmm. and it was called Get Your Ass Off the Ground. Such a great name. Mm -hmm. it, was, I, it was genius. I think it was in 2014. I think it was no. that long ago. I do. I th I'd have to check, but I know it's been maybe 2015. I know it's been a while. And yeah, you and I, we had a conversation about just the coaching industry in general and mm -hmm. what it takes to make it. And you still, you work with life coaches, correct? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And that's not what we're going to be talking about today. We're not going to be talking about the coaching mm -hmm. industry per se, as far as strategy. But I, I think that what you are talking about on your website and going forward is a conversation that does not just pertain to coaches. It pertains mm. to every woman, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So people are like, what is she talking about? All right. So <laughs> I, what I'm going to do first to kind of kick us off is I'm just going to read what right when you land on the homepage of your website, joecasey.com, like when you when you told me the new website was out and I went to it, I was like, oh my God, I love it. And, and yeah, and I ran and told you, but it says a good business requires visibility. It needs you to take up space, get seen and be heard. Being a good woman in quotes requires the exact opposite. And therein lies the tension. And again, I think that like when I read that, I was so enamored by it and, and just had like this visceral reaction because I think you could even substitute the, the sentence, a good business requires visibility. Mm -hmm. Like to live a great life requires yeah. visibility. Yeah. You need yeah. to be seen and take up space. And so then you go on and you talk a lot on your website about the feminine conditioning. So let's start there. What does that mean? So to me, feminine conditioning is all of the messages that have been poured into us since we were tiny little girls. 
about what is acceptable to be as a girl and, and as a woman. And this applies even if you, you know, you had really progressive parents who told you that they loved you every day or told you that you could do anything that you wanted, who didn't, you know, necessarily raise you like a 1950s mm-hmm. stereotype of, you know, you need to be a housewife, you know, even if you were given progressive feminist style messages from your family of origin, our culture gives us so many messages about what it means to be a good, as in acceptable woman. And for men too, you know, there's a lot of toxic masculinity out there mm-hmm. as well. So that our feminine conditioning is almost like the soup that we absorb. I think that's a bad analogy. Yeah. But you know, no, we, I, I totally this, get it. Like, yeah, you're in the crop <laughs> Yeah, as we're evolving and it's gets in our way it gets in our brain and a lot of the time it's operating on a level that we're not even aware of until we violate it until we try and step out of it Mm -hmm. yes and I think I know somewhere on your site you kind of gave some examples about what we are taught and and it's not like someone hands us this pamphlet that has all the rules but it's these messages of like we want you to be you should speak your mind but not too much, you know, don't step on anybody's toes, you know, you know, embrace your sexuality, but don't be slutty. And it's all these kind of paradoxes. And really, I think what it comes down to is the feeling of that we just can't win. Mm, It's impossible. We are given this recipe of perfection that is impossible to achieve. Mm -hmm. It's the whole damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, absolutely. And this creates this real tension when, you know, we bump up against it. So, you know, when you want to speak out in the meeting, when you want to tell your partner that you don't like something, mm-hmm. when you want to you know, start sharing an opinion that maybe you've never shared before, what what happens is we, we can't quite often get to the point where we are doing those things. All of this internal stuff kicks in that says to us, no, don't do that. No, stay quiet. No, what people might get upset if you say that. What mm-hmm. will they think? Yeah. You know, will they like me? Will I hurt their feelings? All of that stuff kind of starts to, to kick in because that's our kind of protective instincts, self-protection instincts kicking in. And so when you're wanting to grow a business or when you're wanting to grow yourself or like you say, just have a good life, stand up for yourself to do something a bit outside these accepted norms, there can be this real kind of internal kickback. And that's before we even get to the societal kickback right. that happens. Right. Through the <laughs> yeah. internal first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's interesting when I, I have a really, really good friend. She was my best friend for a long, long time. We met when we were 14 or 15 and then have actually kind of rekindled our, our friendship and we talk a lot now. And, and she, she told me recently, she said, you know, when you first started your blog, what, like maybe it's been 10 years now, she said, I, I was a little worried and was kind of like, what is she doing? Why is she mm-hmm. out there telling everyone about her personal life? And she's like, I thought you should stop. She's like, I was judging you. And, and she said, it really was about my own stuff. You know, like, like I wasn't so much like worried what people were going to do or say, but it was my own discomfort in you 
shining so brightly, even though I was talking about, you know, the harder stuff in, in life. But I think that mm. I was so glad to hear her say that. And I was like, that's the conversation that we need to be having. And yeah. it was really interesting because that was, even though she didn't say it to me, but that was some kickback. That was some societal kickback that I was getting. And trust me, there were people who said and commented and said I should shut up. <laughs> and I, I do. I think it's, it is other people's stuff, but I do think it's still really hard to mm. just take that in and be like, well, I'm going to keep going anyway. Because again, it's that, we have, it's a matter of unlearning what we know of decades of this, what you call feminine conditioning. Yeah. And not to put too fine a point in it, because it's important to be aware that this isn't just internally what goes on for us, because then we have a culture where we have some very strong examples of what happens to women when they do properly violate that feminine conditioning mm -hmm. so it, it kind of works on the these two levels there's the internal stuff that goes on but then within our culture you can we've talked about this you know a number of times we can think of those women who are the rule breakers who are then vilified and i totally. think that is really intensified over the past year or two with you know we have professional trolls now mm -hmm. who part of the kind of raison d'etre is to target openly feminist or high profile women so look at what happened to leslie jones look at you know the actress from saturday night live who was in the film of ghostbusters mm -hmm. they made a film of ghostbusters with women in and that was seen to be so outrageous that this woman was not just bombarded with kind of mean messages on Twitter, but they, they doxed her. They tried to shut down her website. They, it was hacked. There were pictures, intimate pictures of her stolen. It was horrible. Scary. It was mm -hmm. really scary. And so it's almost like we only need a few very public examples it's almost like the scarlet letter. Yeah. You know, only need a few very public examples of that for the rest of us to kind of go, well, I don't want to be, you know, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be in that position. I think a lot of what we talk in the kind of coaching space is the internal stuff that comes on, but there's a definite cultural thing that goes on as well. And I think it's important. This isn't just all in our heads. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think, and, and I'm glad you brought it up too. It, it, I think that this does happen on the men's side as well. You know, like any kind of revolutionary will be vilified, you know, the Martin mm -hmm. Luther Kings of the world, et cetera. But I think even if you look way back in history about the witches of Salem, you know, like they were drowned and burned at the stake and, and mm -hmm. there, there are so many instances of history where these women were murdered for speaking out and for doing and, and mm -hmm. just social justice stuff too. And, and even look at people like Madonna. I think Madonna is a great yes. example of someone who in the eighties and, and maybe it's poignant to me because that's what I grew up. I was a little girl when she was just becoming famous mm -hmm. and, and she was so ahead of her time. And I remember like I think even though maybe it was a little bit too overtly sexual for my age, I think that that is, is secondary to the fact that I want my daughter to have heroes like Madonna who just keep going, you know, who mm -hmm. still in the face of being just like you were saying, just like vilified by mm -hmm. the public. And people are afraid of that. I think people are afraid of women who just kick down the doors of yeah. these societal and cultural 
personas that we are supposed to, this box that we're supposed to fit into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting with Madonna now because, you know, this is a woman in her 50s who is mm-hmm. still an artist, who is still sexual, who still is wearing, I guess, revealing. That sounds a bit yeah. prudish to say that, but, you know, <laughs> those kind of amazing costumes still. And that's what she's now criticized for. Oh, she's too old to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen her so arms. Like, I'm so tired oh of God, hearing yeah. about her arms. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. I got so still being kind of vilified but the goalposts change you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like who made those rules who who made it and so i i think sometimes we only realize what the rules are when somebody kind of crosses them and and then and the good thing is then we get to say is that a rule we want to keep really Mm -hmm. is she too really so oh i see so if you're in your 50s you can't be sexual you can't kind of own your sexuality you can't be an artist you can't control your own women in their 50s still have sex um our vaginas don't dry up and fall out of our bodies god can you imagine people picking them up (laughs) yeah just in the supermarket one day what was it oh i'm so sorry my vagina excuse me can i thanks can i get that it's right by your leg (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, and I know that you and I had a conversation about what happened. And I think that this is sort of like where the whole thing sort of exploded and and came to a head, whether you lived here in the United States or you didn't. You know, I know that you're over there on the other side. But I think when when Hillary Clinton ran for office here and this, you know, regardless if you liked her or not, it doesn't matter. I think, you know, because I was over here feeling the burn, but I, I just watching the debates and watching how she just was torn apart for so many different reasons, not just because of the emails, but for so many different reasons about the way she was dressing and, and all of these things. Or whether and, she smiled or didn't smile, didn't smile or whether her and, voice was whiny and or cough yeah. and yeah, and like all of these things. But I think that just, and even for women who had never really paid attention to any of what we're talking about or feminism in general or women's rights or anything, I think that when she lost it meant so much more than just her losing the election. I think for me, and I think the reason that there was so much grief around it, it felt like for every woman who's been passed up for a job by a man who is less qualified, for any woman who has been, I might start crying, but for any woman who has been made fun of or not taken seriously, you know, and it's like, I think it was the collective groan from all of us. Yeah, and it wasn't like it was subtle. You know, so it wasn't like, oh, he was a pretty good guy. And there was, he was so unqualified. He was so vile to her. I mean, I stayed up and watched the second debate. I mean, and I'm in the UK. It like started at something like two in the morning. But I don't, I don't know if people remember, but he, he pulled this stunt a couple of hours beforehand where he, it was the week of Pussygate, mm-hmm. which in any sane world, you would think, well, that's him dead in the water. You yeah. know, that's it. But he was keeping going. And he'd done this thing where he gathered, I think, some women who'd accused Bill Clinton of sexual assault, almost to say, well, I may have done it, but, you know, her husband did it as well. Right. Well, that's exactly the message that was, yeah. yeah. This is insane. Mm-hmm. And so I watched the second debate, and I, I think I think so many women around the world, yeah, because it, it really wasn't just the US that women were watching this kind of going. He is like every abuser we've ever met. He is like every 
horrible boss, every guy who told us we were worthless. I mean, the, the bit where he says such a nasty woman. That was... <laughs> oh, yeah. I was in California. I was with my friend, that same friend I was just telling you about. And she was like, did he just say she's a nasty woman? <laughs> we both were like, <laughs> what? Yes. And, and the, just the gaslighting, too, I think. Was, oh, yes. Oh, that was, you know, what's interesting is I came out of that whole thing really realizing I was like, oh, my entire first marriage was about gaslighting. <laughs> I didn't realize it until that whole mm. thing. I was like, that's what that was. Oh, yeah, it was gaslighting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it was, I think that it was sort of a rude awakening to what. It was just grief, I think, on so many mm. levels. And it, it had so much more to do with just, you know, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I think it represented yeah. a lot of things for a lot of women, which brings us back to this conversation. And so I'd love to talk to you about where do we start to unravel this? And I think that for so many people, it can feel like so impossible. Like, how mm. are we even going to take this down? What are yeah. your thoughts on that? Where do we start? I think the first thing is we've got to be aware of it. And we've got to know that this isn't, it's really easy to start thinking, what is wrong with me? Yeah. And so one of the first things that I really want people to know is it's not your fault. It's not mm. any one individual's fault. And by the way, this isn't also about, you know, there's some Illuminati there going, well, what should we be telling women this week? You know, <laughs> this is just how our culture has evolved. And the good news is we get to start reshaping that culture, but we can't do it unless we're aware of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Because if, unless we're aware of it, we can't then start to question, well, do you know, is it not okay for me to take up space in the world? Is it really a bad thing if I disagree with someone publicly is it really a bad thing to tell that guy that actually he's wrong mm -hmm. and we can start to to kind of look at it in the light and start to look at those beliefs and say actually are those and those assumptions that kind of go along with this idea of what's what's a good woman and kind of say actually is that is that what we want? And we can start to reshape them, but we can't do it unless we're aware of it. Absolutely. And I think I think even just that, I always say this in personal development, like the very first step at half of the battle is being aware of it in the moment. And I think that this is no exception. And, and it may mm -hmm. even be a great exercise for people to do, whether you're thinking about it in your car or you're, you love journaling and writing it down. What have you made up? that being mm. a good woman looks like. And this is yeah. not probably a question that you have like answered on a worksheet before. I mean, this yeah. is something that is in your subconscious that is swirling mm -hmm. around, whether you have yeah. ever thought about it or articulated it ever in your life. Mm -hmm. So I would ask that question, like, what do you think a good woman is? And I think also it really is about these small moments in our everyday lives that matter. So for mm -hmm. instance, I was traveling wasn't actually that long ago. It was in the last six months or a year or so. I was on the airplane and I, I don't even remember which seat I was in, if I was in the middle or the aisle or the end. I think I may have actually been in the middle and there was two men next to me. And of course, you know, not, I shouldn't say of course, because not all men do this. Hashtag not all men. But like one of them was man spreading and the other one had like totally overtaken the armrest. And I 
totally didn't realize I was doing it, but I had completely like pulled myself in small, Mm. crossed my legs and was just like trying to be as small as possible as to not take up too much space as to not make other people uncomfortable. And I was thinking Mm. about it, you know, and I noticed, I think I noticed it because I noticed the man's arm was actually, he was actually coming. I took a picture of it. He was actually coming (laughs) over into my space and I was kind of irritated. And then that's when I realized like, look at my body posture. Like, look at what I am tolerating right now. Mm. And actually, almost inviting by doing this. And I thought Mm -hmm. to myself, I wonder if I would have behaved the same way if if it was two women that were next to me and one was like Mm -hmm. spreading and the other one was like, I probably wouldn't have my body posturing would have been, who knows? It may have been the same. I don't know. But I think it was, it was a really good lesson for me to just change the way that I was sitting. So I was like, okay, you know what? This is not comfortable for me. So I am going to basically wrestle my arm over. The guy was sleeping. So in his defense, he had fallen asleep. And I think that's why his arm had come over. So we did mm-hmm. kind of wake him up a little bit. And then he moved his arm back over to his side. So it's it's just little things like that. Notice where you're doing that. Notice where you're apologizing for bumping into someone, you know, and man or woman, where you are saying that you're sorry for just like existing, just existing. Yes. Yeah. Although I say that as a British person and we apologize. It is, we struggle to say a sentence without an apology in it. Well, is it like, because I have, I have some Canadian clients and it's, and we joke about it. Cause isn't your, I'm sorry, kind of equivalent to like an excuse me. Yes. It basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Could you? Yeah. I was, yeah. <laughs> but still. But no, you, you, you're absolutely right. And it's this, where are you holding yourself back? Because we can, we can take up space physically, mm-hmm. but also we can take up space kind of in the conversation. Yes. We can take up space in the, you know, in the culture. Where are you dimming your light to, you know, because of somewhere along the line, we've been told that, well, if you shine too bright, that will make other people feel bad. It will make other people feel too bad and you don't want to be seen. I think for me in the subconscious, my biggest fear is to be seen as a know-it-all. Oh, who do you think you are? Yeah. Who do you think you are? Because I remember when I was a little girl, I'll never forget this conversation. I was probably 10-ish and I was playing with some of my friends on, you know, on the street that we lived on. And we were talking about another one of our friends because that's sometimes what we do. I'm not going to sit here pretend we never talked about. And they were talking about this other, I don't even remember what the name of her was. And she was saying, I think it was like, I was listening to this conversation and one girl said to the other one, she's such a show off. And the other Mm. one said like, I know she's such a know-it-all. I remember that conversation. They weren't even talking about me, but I remember that stuck with me because I Uh was like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that girl that they're talking about. That's a know-it-all and a show off. And I don't even really think that the girl, from what I remember, like she wasn't annoying. She wasn't, she was just a little girl who probably loved to have fun and, you know, and, and it, and Mm -hmm. and we were little, we were little kids and it was already starting. And, So it's those messages that we get that stick with us. And just by my personality, like I am, I am a take up space type of person, but there's been so many times where I have held back and not said anything Mm. for fear of being talked about. Mm. And I think it shows up a lot with women imperfectionism as well. So we're not going to 
do something unless we know it's going to be perfect. And because it's never going to be perfect, then we tend to not do something. And that can be putting something out in the world. That could be saying, you know, especially now, one of the conversations that we really need to have culturally is, you know, about white supremacy. And as a white person, I am hugely uncomfortable because I'm going to mess that up. That's a given. I am. Mm. I don't know what it's like to be a person of color. And so if I do start engaging in that conversation, then I'm going to mess it up. Yeah. Do you know, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to feel clumsy, but we really need to be having those conversations. And, you know, that feeling of I can't say anything. I can't come up with my opinion. I can't ask a question. I can't create something in the world unless it's going to be perfect. Uh-huh. Hold so many of us back. And there's power in getting comfortable with your imperfection. You know, Brene Brown says the, the gifts of imperfection, but the fact is we aren't going to grow unless we allow ourselves to acknowledge that we're not going to be perfect. And that is okay. Mm-hmm. We have many, many, many examples of imperfect men who are still doing their thing in the world. Oh, yeah. And that's a whole nother conversation. But oh, yeah, I, think, I think too that in regards to whether it's politics or social justice issues and things that, you know, we want change around, I think, and I'm making this up, but because it's also my experience is that the reason many of us don't say anything and, or if we see, or if we hear people having a conversation that we don't agree with and, and we want to speak up, but we don't, I think that that perfectionism comes in and what it looks like is that we're afraid that somebody's going to argue back with us and they're going to have mm-hmm. research or statistics or better rebuttals and we're going to be mm-hmm. stuck and not know how to argue back. So mm-hmm. we don't say anything. And yeah. I know I've been in that situation before where, you know, you don't have a comeback. And so you're just like, let's shut up. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've always said I, I was an activist for, for quite a while and was, was quite involved in kind of politics at quite a local level but I was invited to see if I wanted to to apply and kind of get on the program to you know maybe working towards becoming an elected official and I realized that I just couldn't possibly because I would get so flustered and then I would just lose it and then I would just call the other person you know you just shut up you're just just a dick I would just and I thought no (laughs) maybe not well do you regret that do you think that's in the cards for you no, 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 no. I, I think there are some amazing activists and, and politicians out there. That is not my my path. I, I just want to make sure. Yeah, not for me. I not have to ask those me. questions. I so, mean, I'll still continue to be an activist, but yeah, yeah not, not kind of... Not at that level. Okay, gotcha. No. So speaking of, of activism and this whole topic, what is your why? Why did you get so involved in this and why do you keep at it? <sighs> I know we we kind of talked about this last week when we were having our conversation, but it comes down to the fact that I kind of want to save my Mm mum or I want to save the little girl that I was when my mum was kind of my age. And so my mum was working class, was you know told that her career options were be a secretary and if you were really bright you could be a teacher but only until you got married and had kids. And then that was the norm that you gave it up. And my mum did that she became a secretary and then because she was bright because she was very gifted she got on a social work program and she became a social worker and then she had me and my brother and she got quite depressed she wasn't happy being a stay-at-home mother and so when my when I was just turned four she went back to work and 
she faced a huge amount of pressure and criticism, overt criticism. And this was the, the 70s. You know, it was as far outside, you know, not nearly as, as normal and familiar to have kind of career women. It was, it was really, you know, a, a derogatory term quite often. And she put herself under so much pressure to get everything right. You know, she still did the vast, majority of the the housework she did the caring for us she worked full time and she was strung out and overwhelmed most of the time and that's one of the most vivid memories from my childhood is my mum just being you know quite often on a hair trigger because you know not that she was violent or anything like that she was just so stressed you know yourself when you're at that point where you just I am on my last nerve and she was she was like that for a long time because she wanted to be so good at her job and she was so gifted and she wanted to be such a good mom and she want, also wanted to do all of those other things that were still expected of her like you know keep a clean house mm-hmm. like you know make sure all the bills are paid and it wasn't that my dad was, you know, a male chauvinist or anything. He was really supportive of her. But, you know, it just wasn't the done thing for, you know, him to do housework and stuff like that. So I just remember her being exhausted and overwhelmed all the time. And yeah. as I got older, in my 20s, I found that I was repeating the same patterns. And that's how I got into personal development because I had a little mini breakdown when I was in my, my mid-20s and kind of thought I have to understand this so I have to kind of break this pattern so I have to do things differently and when I bring it back to why do I I do my work I do it because I want to rescue my mom from Mm -hmm. all of those years of feeling so down on herself and so overwhelmed and so exhausted and so unperfect and like she was failing every day I want to save other women from going through that wow it's such a great story and I mean great and not great but I mm. love that you were honest enough to say you know like that's really at the the bottom of it what it's all about and I remember when you shared that story with me last week is that I realized a huge part of my why is about my mom too and, and my mom mm. was her feminine conditioning was they grew up very strict catholic and her feminine conditioning was you get married and you have babies and you stay home and you live a good life and you obey your husband and that's what it's all about and so she married her childhood sweetheart when she was 17 and dropped out of school because you know why do you need Mm. to graduate from high school if you're married and you're gonna have babies Mm -hmm. so she dropped out i think she finished 10th grade and had my brother at 17 had my sister at 20 and her husband turned out to be not so great without getting into too many details about that and left them. And my mom had to do it all on her own, never paid a lick of child support to her. And she had these two little kids. And luckily my mom has seven sisters and they all still lived. And this wasn't like in some, you know, podunk town somewhere. This was in Los Angeles. So Mm -hmm. she just, my mom's always been very outspoken, but but the same conditioning really that I got, you know, was like, just don't, mm. not too loud, not too much. And yeah. so to me, it's just, it's fucking appalling that she had to do that by herself. And yes, she did have help because she had my aunts and without them, I don't know what she would have done. I don't know how she would have survived. And she barely did from what I understand, you know, they mm. lived 
with my aunts from time to time and just so she could make it with these two little kids and just it blows my mind and 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 I've asked her too and I'm like do you ever do you ever want to go back and get you know your GED and she's you know sometimes she's interested and and sometimes she's not but I just for me I think a lot of what has fueled my fire is I don't know I think I think that you know if if some psychoanalyst heard this story they'd be like well what are you trying to prove and I think that so many of us deep down have something that we're trying to prove. And I think that sometimes it's okay. (laughs) I think as long as it's not our primary fuel, like really Mm -hmm. I do this work for, I do this work for, for women, you know, but I think there's Mm -hmm. still like, like you were saying, it's like, there's still that little girl in me who wants to, to prove to my mom, like, look, you know, you can go to college and you can do all these things and, and you can use your, what do I want to call it? loud voice. You can use your natural outspokenness for good. And, and that's what I try to do every day. And I think we all have, I think we all have like a deep seated why. Mm. And I think it can be helpful to kind of unpack it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. (sighs) Oh, let's let's sit around and talk about our moms. (laughs) 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 Well, I do kind of shifting gears a little bit. And I know your new website with all, and I want everyone to stop what they're doing and go to JoeCasey.com. And I know because you were, well, this is my question because you weren't exactly like, hey world, I have all this new messaging and copy on my website. Go read it. Were you a little freaked out? Oh my God, I was so freaked out. It seems kind of funny now because it's been been out in the world for a week or so now, but in the the run up to it, because I got to a point where, and I know we said we weren't going to talk about the coaching industry, but just very briefly, I got to a point where financially I was doing pretty well, but my message just felt so shallow. You know, Which part of it did you not like? Because I think that's important. Well, I guess the fact that it, I, I wasn't talking about the kind of the depth of the work. So I, I was talking about things like to build a coaching practitioner, you need to do these things. I was talking about strategy and I was saying, oh, well, you know, you also need to be able to deal with some of the emotional stuff that comes up. But but actually the theme that was coming up time and time again through my own work and work with my clients and my peers and was this fear of being visible and putting things out there and fear of judgment and all of that. And and it was some working with, a, you know, my own coach who kind of was able to pull all these threads together. And I went, oh, it's all feminine conditioning. That's mm-hmm. kind of, this is the thing that we need to start unpacking. And then I thought, well, I need to start talking about this. And my second thought was, oh my God, I'm burning down my business. I'm not going to have a business. Nobody's going to want to listen to this. And so I did the ugly cry more times than I, I care to imagine. I have woken up in the middle of the night with fears around, have I put this out? And I kind of out myself as a as a feminist. Then will people still want to hire me? Mm-hmm. Will I start taking, you know, will I start getting lots of criticism and, and lots or of- hate mail um, or death threats. Yeah. Yes. And all of that stuff. And- and had this urge to kind of go, but I still really like men and all of that, you know, all of those things. Seriously, I considered putting an FAQ on my, on my page going, no, I don't hate men. So you burn your bras. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really like lipstick. And... <laughs> Oh my gosh. So no, it it wasn't easy. And what was, and I obviously, because I'm a coach, I'm fairly self-aware. There was one part of me, which was kind of meta going, well, this is really interesting. You're going through exactly the same mm-hmm. type of resistance. Yes. But yeah, it wasn't easy 
at all. You know, it, it really wasn't. And the ironic thing is now that so many people have got in touch with me going, oh my God, that's so you. Yeah. That was been there all along. And yet I felt that I had to hide it and keep it hidden. So I love the fact that people are responding to it so well, that people are recognizing it. You know, when people see that term feminine conditioning and see the kind of description go, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That, that's that what is, it is. Now yeah. there's a name for it. Yes, I agree with everything you said that, you know, I don't work with coaches so much anymore, but it really, really is for so many of them. Not all of them. I have had a handful of them who really that's not an issue for them and they have they've worked through it. <laughs> they've already done the work. But mm-hmm. for so many coaches and I've talked about this so many times on my podcast, but when my book came out in 2013, it was, and at that point I, I had done a fair amount of work on myself. And so I, mm. I thought, you know, okay, good. You know, I've worked on this whole inner critic thing. I've worked on, you know, trying to sort of diffuse what other people think of me and, and, and I have the tools and I use them. And then my book came out and I was sort of like flung out into like, massive visibility, like more than I had ever, because it had been kind of like incremental at that point, like a just a gradual driveway type of mm-hmm. <laughs> gain. And then all of a sudden it was like this huge, just, oh my God, catapult. And I freaked out. I was like, get me out of here. I mean, even at my book signing, Amy Smith, my best friend, like laughs about it and tells the story because she was there. And and she, who has done a lot of work on the feminine conditioning, if there ever is anybody, she was more excited about my book signing than I was. She was like manning the table and I was like wanting to hide under it. And I was so, even my friend Michael was like, what was, he texted me later. He's like, what was going on with you? And I was like, that was the most uncomfortable experience of my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) And it it was just a combination of just nerves. And there was some excitement. Like there was a lot of excitement. Mm. I'm not going to say that there wasn't, but a lot of it had to do with this whole topic that we're talking about of just Mm -hmm. the core beliefs in my brain and in my tissues that are telling me, run. People don't want to see you here. Like this, Mm. all of those things, like, oh, even just talking about it, like makes my stomach hurt. But yeah, just all that to say, all of us, I think, well, I should say like 98% of us are still doing this work, even if we already have things like online businesses or speaking Mm. careers, or you have climbed the corporate ladder and you're in a C-level position in your job or any of these things, it still Mm. can rear its ugly head. Absolutely. I mean, a friend of mine who doesn't have a business, works a day job, but she's on the PTA and she's mm-hmm. been wrestling with this whole thing about, I really want to be able to make these points. But whenever I, you know, I'm struggling to kind of open my mouth and find a, a space for me to to say things. So I think it comes up in so many areas of, of our lives, even if you don't have a, a business. Yes. I have one more question for you and then we're going to wrap it up. Okay. So what is your biggest hope for this messaging? I hope that more women start to realize that it's normal. It's not something wrong with them, which is because we get into this double bind. I think we kind of go, I really want to do this thing. Is it safe for me to do this thing? And oh, God, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and so we, we like at this double jeopardy. So I would like to at least at the very least relieve people of the burden of that second one. There's nothing wrong with you because you're struggling with this. This is part of our collective experience as women. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to start doing is, well, let's collectively start having a conversation about that and start to unpack some of it and start to collectively rise and overcome it. Yeah. Because if ever there was a time that women needed to take up more space and share our opinions, it's now. Yes. 
fist pump. Mm. I love that. I just want to add to that to just kind of underscore what you said is that because I, I thought about, you know, this conversation ahead of time and I thought like, I don't want it to be just like, let, let's record a conversation of, of between you and I just like complaining about the patriarchy and, and oh, things yeah. like that. And I, d- I don't think that that's what it's about. I think, yes, first mm-hmm. and foremost, it's a conversation on what that actually is, what it looks like, mm-hmm. what our human experience is for people that may not even realize that they're in it. And I also think that the benefit of having these conversations is just that, that we're having the conversation yes. and that it needs to yeah. be had. And the more that it happens, the more we can dissipate any shame around it. Or like you were saying, you know, feelings of, is there something wrong with me? And, mm-hmm. and that I think it's a courageous conversation. And I always say courage breeds confidence. And that's part of what yeah. this is about. So thank you so much for having the courage to do what you do in the world with women and with coaches and for coming on here and having this conversation. And thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It really has. Awesome. Thank you everyone for listening. Anything that we talked about is in the show notes as always. So go to joecasey.com to read more about Joe. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey, ass kickers, you know what would help me out so much if you left a rating and review for this podcast. Your Kick-Ass Life podcast will always be free to you and to help me get more awesome guests and to spread the word, it helps tremendously if you leave a rating and a review. Now, they don't particularly make this super easy to do, so I'll help you out a little. If you're in iTunes and you're on your phone, when you are in the podcast app, you need to search for your Kick-Ass Life podcast. I know, even if you're subscribed, this is how you do it. So when you search for it and you see it come up, click on the cover art, then towards the top where it says reviews, click that, scroll down a tiny little bit, and then click write a review. Stitcher is a bit easier if you're on Android. The easiest way I found to do this is to type into Google stitcher.com, your kick-ass life, and voila, my podcast should pop up as the first link. Scroll down and click Click, write a review. That's it. Thank you so very much. You have no idea how much it helps me when you do that. All right. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.